0: Geopolitics and Empire is joined by Professor Emeritus at the University of California, Davis, uh, and author of seminal academic monographs and countless publications, Daryl Y. Hamamoto. He produces regularly scheduled talk on his YouTube channel, uh, the link will be in the description. And I've listened to his talks uh, on the elites, the New World Order, politics, and so forth for many, many years, going back um, to the days when he was moonlighting uh, on the Alex Jones Infowars uh, program. Welcome, Professor Habamoto.
1: Thank you, Professor Morich. Uh, I understand that you have encountered similar tribulations in your academic career, so I'm sure we're going to have a, a very interesting conversation uh, because as you well know, uh, we didn't change the uh, the culture and the society and the political system changed and uh, they didn't want any authentic, real, non-synthetic voices to get out there. Do you feel me on that? I mean, you had the similar situation.
0: Yeah, I would add I'm, I'm a former professor, but when I was uh, teaching, I had, uh, you know, courses taken away from me uh, for a semester or two, uh, parents writing in. Uh, angry letters and and that sort of thing but uh you know for people who are unfamiliar with your work it'd be great if you could tell us uh, a bit about yourself uh as well uh, as you were discussing how you veered away from the politically correct and talking about what's really going on and just before the interview you were giving a great example of of Jordan Peterson as as someone uh that the establishment has kind of uh, put out there so you know if you give us a bit of a uh, background
1: Certainly, I am considered one of the foremost, uh, I guess, experts, scholars in in media, in media studies in the English language. I don't know what what they're doing in other parts of the world, but um, uh, I've taught at places like UCLA School of Film, Television, Cinema. I've done the books. I'm not going to go through my whole curriculum vita. Take my word for it. I'm up there and I'm cited off times and all the different metrics will show that I'm up there. So, and I'm a product of the television generation. I am a product of the media generation. So in a sense, I'm studying myself. I'm looking at all the different institutions that works my mind and altered my behavior, some for the good, but mostly for the bad. And I made it my career. Okay. That's one contribution. Most academics barely make one Right. One contribution in their whole career. I've done three. I can lay claim to three areas. And this is not me saying this. This is people who cite me. All right. Let me give you an an example. The the most, um, well, after the media, I gravitated towards the study of sexuality. Very important Institution, of course, is more than institution. It's our whole reason for being as a species, right? And you know your Foucault and how that led into the whole J B T Q L T mafia, right? It all comes from some legitimate exploration, Then it was co-opted because co-optation is part of the iron law of oligarchy. Oligarchy means the rule of the of the few. They see all the different organic movements. They, they I meaning the people who are running, let's say, Yale Law School, the trustees, the corporations, the big thinkers, the social planners, the behavioral scientists. And they say, oh, we see something called race and ethnicity theory. By the way, I'm one of the people originally who was putting this forward. Uh, my academic appointment at the University of California, Davis was in something called Asian American Studies, Right. So that's ethnic studies right there. And again, that was co-opted. And that's one of the reasons why they kicked me out of there, because it was uh, it was being taken over by some uh, psychology experts, mind control people. One guy's name was Stan Sue and the other guy's name was Nolan Zane. And they would set up a franchise within my department to gather all the Asian American students and create databases on them and put them into the mental health. System and also to try to get them hooked on very powerful psychotropic drugs, such as those that we see behind these school shootings or these seemingly irrational outbursts of violence. But that's all very much engineered. So I knew this, I studied it, I write about it. And these people thought that I was a problem, and they're right, I am a problem. And like you, sir, um, we might have been taken out of the classroom, but we have a much larger audience now on TubeU, as I call it, because Tubu is also part of the oligarchic system. But to my point, even within a system of control where the big shots think they've got us all sealed in and cornered like rats, there's room to maneuver. And you and me, We're exploring that that little space. A message from our sponsors.
0: It seems we're headed for economic collapse, a dystopian social credit system, even another world war. As a longtime expat myself, I've secured multiple passports, getaway locations, foreign financial accounts, and escaped to the sunnier shores of Mexico. Mikhail Thorup of the Expat Money Show can help you do the same and become great reset proof. He's hosting the Expat Money Summit with 30-plus experts that'll help you reclaim your freedom in a time of upheaval and uncertainty by moving your life, business, and wealth offshore. Themes include securing your plan B safe haven, offshore banking, decentralized finance, second passports, and much more. Protect yourself and secure a new life abroad. Register now for free at expatmoneysummit.com or don't and enjoy eating bug burgers in your smart city. If you do find yourself stuck in a smart city, the Nomos app will help you survive COVID-1984 and the Great Reset. Nomos is a time bank that can be used by communities anywhere in the world. You just need to talk people into using it. I've spoken to the developer who is passionate about creating solutions for surviving and thriving in the apocalypse. Nomos is available in English and Spanish, so hurry and visit nomos.net before they roll out the cashless Society and put you in the algorithm ghetto. And don't forget to fund Geopolitics and Empire. You can leave a donation, except on Patreon or PayPal, which have banned us, book a consultation, or become a member. Yeah, I I would call it, I call it Pentagon, Tube because, you know, (laughs) Facebook was basically a DARPA project, uh, and we know that the Pentagon seed-funded Google uh, and and Facebook and, and a lot of this stuff. And I got recently banned, taken off of, Pentagon pal, PayPal, uh, the same week they created the ministry of, of truth together, you know, consortium news and, and mint press and even Spotify started taking down episodes, uh, a, a week after that. So yeah, we're having fun. Uh, I also have my TNT radio show and I came to this realization, just as, as you just mentioned that I'm reaching far more people. You know, we're reaching far more people than we would, uh, in the classroom. And what we're doing is basically the same thing as we were doing in the classroom where, you know, teaching uh, having conversations and so um you know I, I had wanted to get you on to get sort of your big picture view on things wh- where we are in the world uh and you had said you wanted to discuss the iron law of oligarchy and th- that is basically what you know we have this global oligarchy that's you know trying to take control centralized uh, control at the global level and it's funny because my previous guest briefly mentioned the iron law of uh, oligarchy so you know oh th- th- take us take take us uh, where you like you know in, in, indulge us
1: well, Professor Morich, uh, that is a phrase, a concept that needs to be revived. And I'm glad that it's gaining currency. If I achieve nothing else on your vidcast today, I want people to start uttering this phrase and even better thinking about it, because there's an organizational strategy behind this notion of of iron law of oligarchy. Now, that's not Something that I coined, it was a a political scientist by the name of Robert Michels, M-I-C-H-E-L-S. It sounds French, Robert Michels. I think he was born in Italy, but his academic career was in Germany. And uh, three thinkers, and there is some space for authentic academic scholarly work. I'm not going to bore people with with the nerd aspects of it, but Michels is one of the important thinkers. The other one is uh, Gaetano Mosca. And the other one is Vittorio Pareto, right? He's a, he was Italian. So these guys, between them, were trying to figure out, hey, how come if we've destroyed all the monarchies, we got rid of the church, and we have something like social democracy or socialism or democracy liberalism, all the iterations of non-monarchical, non-Vatican, non-hereditary leadership uh oligarchy how come we're still being oppressed by a tiny minority right and that question is as pertinent today in 2022 as it was in the early 20th century with the rise of fascism and the the, the great wars numbers one and two that that really tried to address this question and we think we myself included uh, not that I was fully taken in by it. We think that all we have to do is support the great man on the white horse with uh, orange hair, perhaps, and used to be a reality television star <laughs> and a fame whore on all the talk shows. Right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Um, that everything is going to be cool after that, right? So when the election is stolen from one such person, and it was stolen, I believe, and that's a related question, right? Uh, that's something that the iron law of oligarchy had, not, oligarchy had not anticipated because it wasn't computerized. If you wanted to steal a vote, you had to pay people and or steal the ballot box, literally. right? Um, so we were all disappointed and disheartened and depressed by the fact that the election was handed over to someone called uh, Joe Biden. right? And everything's thrown in disarray. So what do we do? That leaves us vulnerable to new would-be oligarchs, right? And there's a ton of them who have come forward in order to fill that emotional, because it really gets down to emotional and uh, charismatic issues that these leaders have, right? And, you know, I have to give it to Trump. He is a charismatic personality. He's made for television, and he melted all the way, all the way that he could. So we're falling... Uh, again, for this tra- trap, it's like it's like a washing machine, right? Spin, rinse, repeat over. We we so I want to break that cycle, and I'd like to share some some suggestions, some practical um, advice today, and, and throw it out to the audience to, to ponder, to ponder it, and um, we don't even have to institutionalize because what I'm proposing here has no possible way of ever becoming an oligarchic system itself. You know, it is a, it is the perpetual motion machine of equality. What I'm going to, and I call it, um, uh, smut justice. Smut in the three senses, smut being something pornographic or off color smut, literally being dirt, you know, like in German. And then there's a biological, Sense of it, schmutz being uh, or smuts being uh, fun, fungus or bacteria, something dirty and, and corrupting. While well, my particular approach, in order to reduce the possibility or keep the keep some fluidity in these elites that keep forming and breaking down and reforming. Is to use a tried and true method that was workshopped by one of the intelligence agencies themselves that you alluded to—the ones that created Pentagon Valley and DARPA Valley and in um, INCUTEL. You, know, you know, I don't live that far from from that establishment. And by the way, you were you were done away with uh, on uh, PayPal, right? That's what I call it, PayPal. And that's our friend uh, Peter Teal out of Stanford who, by the way, is uh, besties with J.D. Vance, who we'll talk about in a moment, because he is one of those synthetic figures that have already been targeted, groomed, and ready to be inserted into the vacuum vacated by Orange Man. And we're going to see that. And he's from the South, supposedly, even though he grew up in Ohio, Southern Ohio, but he comes from a family of hillbillies. That's what he calls it. In fact, Let me turn to his book right now. It's called Hillbilly Elegy, right? It was a bestseller, sold millions of copies because the white shoe boys that run the oligarchic publishing system out of New York City, which are typically owned by France, Germany, or England, they're not even American companies. I want to do America, made in America publishing. How's that? But those hereditary bloodline elites know how the system works, and they can game us by trying to find this guy out of the U.S. Marines. That's where he was sheep dipped because he had a 2.0 GPA. He went to a, uh, an inferior public school, not one of these prep schools. He came from a, quote, unquote, dysfunctional family who came out of the, the northern Appalachians, right, northern Kentucky. And, that's, and he's running for senator of, of Ohio. He's the Republican candidate, an orange man supported. He came out and said, I support J.D. Vance. He's a man of the people. Now, where have we heard that, that tripe? Or this book, be Elegy, is to 2022 election what uh, Dreams from My Father was by won Barack Hussein Sotoro. Oh, I'm sorry, Barama. Oh, I'm sorry, you know, on and on and on. This, Vance is his third name so that scene and william jefferson clinton had a couple of different names trump is not even a a trump he's his real name is trump so you see how easy it is to put these synthetic characters out here. so i'm i'm putting a warning i'm the first person i'm the first person to put it out here from any walk of life you don't even have to be a specialist to figure this one out all you have to do is be be a subscriber to Professor Hamamoto YouTube channel, where I, I vidcast twice a, uh, two, you know, there are our shows uh, twice a week. And the most recent one, I went in on a J.D. Vance and his mentor at Yale Law School. This hillbilly got into Yale Law School, the most selective law school in the country, or not the world, on the basis of a 2.0 GPA Uh i don't know what his test scores were they're pretty low but he was in other words he was selected just like slick Willie was selected in out of hope arkansas it was actually hot springs which was a criminal stronghold long before las vegas nevada and then he was sent to yale law school and um you want to go further back and this is for the part of your audience who are really into Oh, the Illuminati and the Knights Templar and the House of Rothschild. I mean, that stuff's getting old, too. That's become its own echo chamber. But I've read it, and that's why I can critique it, and that's why I can extend it uh, a a lot farther than most people. See, what I'm really worried about is that once people hear this, they think they have it down. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got it, right? They have a premature knowledge. They think of what this is. So you don't, they're, they're, they're deaf to whatever else comes after that. But ladies and gentlemen, you're watching here, watch my most recent uh, piece on, on J.D. Vance and his mentor, Amy Chua, who is also being built up by the New York white shoe, white uh, pumps, because these are mostly women that run it, who are, who are um, uh, I guess, uh, trust fund babies. You know, who who go into publishing because it doesn't pay much, but they have to pretend like they're contributing something to the world. So they're editors, right? They're the gatekeepers. And I say this with a, with a, a great touch of bitterness and irony and sarcasm, because they would never give someone like you or me a contract, to, even if they, they could reap millions of dollars from our stories. They'd rather give it to some synthetic hero, the Canadian dude, Jordan Peterson. Or the ass clown over at Portland State, Brett Weinstein. These are so I'm just m- mentioning them because the synthetic characters that we keep being treated to. Who supposedly uh, and uh, Dr. Robert A. Malone is another one, right? The guy who claimed that he he discovered mRNA, who's now buddy buddy with Robert Kennedy Jr. the Children's Health Fund. He's in tight with her because the people who can who who study us, right? The sociologists know that there's this grassroots resentment and resistance coming up and say, Well, we better come clean at least partly. It's called limited hangout. So we'll get Dr. Malone out there to say, Oh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 terrible. I'm on your side. And, of course, he's in bed with all the funders, the corporations in the Pentagon and uh, NATO. It's ultimately a a NATO operation that fund his dehumanizing death research. And by the way, he was a colleague of mine at the University of California, Davis, Robert Malone. And that's another reason why they got me out there, because I was doing critiques of my own institution as being at, at the center, not Berkeley. Not a Stanford, but little old UC Davis, right? It's a cow college, right? The, the very type of institution where you can manufacture monkeypox and mad cow disease and zoonotic uh, types of concoctions, synthetic, right? That, and I'm telling you that because this is where where people need to, to look at, right? Because where does uh, J.D. Vance come? He comes out of Ohio State. I, I
0: had a question uh, j- just about that limited hangout aspect and you know I I've been a fan of Robert Kennedy Jr. in the sense that you know he's been calling out he wrote the book um uh, calling out the CIA for killing his uh father and, and, and uncle and uh, you know a, a lot of good stuff like this and uh, I like the work he's done with Children's Health Defense but I what what you're alluding to now I've heard others say before but um y- you know what would you say then like is RFK would RFK Jr and some of these folks be um, useful idiots? Do, are do they, are they intentionally? Do they know what they're doing, or they're just kind of myopic? Uh, and just say, it, you know, what, what's the game here, and, and how does this function? This sort of limited hangout. What, what what's their purpose for this iron ol- oligarchy? You know, what are they trying to get at with this? You know, Robert Malone operation or, or Kennedy and this sort of thing.
1: Mm. Well, so far as Robert Kennedy Jr. is concerned, and most of the uh, Kennedy family, I have the utmost respect for them, and I think they're an example of how. The iron law of oligarchy is not quite so iron, right? Because of families like him who are insiders and part of the establishment, financial, cultural, political, historical, uh, educational establishment. There's the Kennedy School of, of Government Harvard, which, by the way, has been taken over by globalists and oligarchs because that is the iron law of oligarchy. Anything that that starts out well is going to be hijacked. By people who, whose job it is twenty four hours a day workshop opportunity and uh, an advantage, right? So, so far as Robert F. Kennedy, G, I'm sorry, Robert Kennedy Jr. is concerned, and the family, no problem with them. But this is a large institution that he operates. Uh, the the book he wrote was wonderful. I'm glad it's there, but that does not mean that he he, he and his group are not. Uh, invulnerable to penetration by assets like a Robert A. Malone. And if you study him very carefully, I'm a media expert, as I've already established, right? If you study him carefully, you can see all the earmarks of someone who's very well trained by communication specialists. People, for example, who train Peter Thiel, right? They're very good at the... Uh, the uh, neuro linguistic programming, I think that comes out of Stanford, doesn't it? I mean, they do the intelligence test. It's called the Stanford Binet test of of IQ because part of the oligarchic, the formation and the reproduction of oligarchies is to continually identify talent that can be part of the oligarchy. And people, I'm just using Yale as one institutional example of this because we're talking about J.D. Vance who got into Yale Law School. Be uh, with zero qualifications other than he was a, you know, a poor white trash, as they call him, And he blames, by the way, the white underclass themselves for their own problems. He doesn't talk about deindustrialization. He doesn't talk about, uh, they call it hillbilly heroin, right, down in his neck of the woods. It's called opioids. We know, there's opioid epidemic. And it was created by a family called the Sacklers of New York City. Three brothers were the founding... Uh, dynasty, two of them of which went to the Austro-Hungarian Empire to learn state-of-the-art pharmacia to bring to the U.S. and create concoctions to addle the brains, the minds, the, the psyche of the American people and of the world. That's called the Purdue Pharma. That's the Sackler family. There's a great book on it. It's called The Empire of Pain. So this is not something that I'm making up. J.D. Vance doesn't talk about that. And besides that, J.D. Vance, who went to Yale Law School and his mentor, she's called Dragon Mother. I call her Dragon Mama. No, I'm sorry. Uh, Is that right? Uh, She wrote this book or supposedly she was going to become a pop star like J.D. Vance after writing these very boring, dry Uh, academic tones which i read because she's talking about neoliberal economics and the disparities that are the inequalities i should say that are created out of that uh it was called what the battle hymn of the um the tiger mother yeah it's just amy chua tiger mama that was his mentor there but neither of them and by the way she's also part of this elite recruitment Process. And that's uh, part of the iron law of oligarchy. Pareto, Mosca, and uh, Michel's talk about elite recruitment and the circulation of elites. That's one of their concepts that they developed in the early 20th century. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why GLBTQ studies and CRT and all that are being foregrounded to the exclusion of all this stuff that came out in the early 20th century that we can really use it's pride cuz they don't teach that maybe in a history of sociology class they'll teach michels and pareto and mosca and max weber but mostly it's marx and neo-marxism and so-called theory you know beginning with foucault derrida and all these other uh, cia creations that that the literary analysts to the humanity it was all taken over you know you were in academia it's all theory 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 supposedly pseudo theory with a capital t like oh yeah that's yeah, an I got, oligarchic formation
0: i got, I got tired of uh, of theory but mentioning the lgbt stuff I, if you could just go a bit deeper on one of the synthetic heroes that you mentioned jordan peterson early on i i absolutely loved him because one of the things that i've been obsessed with is Tyranny. You know, my grandfather was a Nazi, uh, a prisoner. I, I I hate evil. I hate tyranny. I hate oligarchy. I'm always fighting th- these kinds of systems. And you know, I love freedom and liberty. But, and he was early on very good. You know, detecting this totalitarianism out in Canada at the universities, and and, and speaking out against it. And then along comes COVID 1984, one of the greatest totalitarianism that that the, the world has ever seen, and he's completely like flipped the script. And right there for me, he like he just disqualified himself uh, completely. And as you said, he went off to Russia for who knows how long, like like he was drugged, almost like, you know, the CIA renditioned him uh, and to some black side and they were drugging him. And then for me, he's disqualified. You know, what, what are your
1: thoughts on uh, Jordan Peterson? Yeah. Well, you see, this whiplash process is part of how these oligarchs work us. Right. And here today, we're going to break that cycle. We're not going to be whiplashed anymore. You're doing it. You're doing it by just just breaking it down in, in, a, in capsule form how you were suckered into him because of your family background. Oh, someone's talking about freedom. They're talking about anti totality. I'm going to listen very carefully, but be careful because most likely you're, you're being seduced, right? You're being lured into something, and then they spring the trap. Just like J.D. Lance or Vance, I'm sorry, he's about to do the same thing to the American people. But we can avoid it because we're always reacting. We're always being responding to the whiplash. Let's get ahead of the problem. So that's why I say we're going to do smut theory. We're going to smudge these people. I'm smearing him right now with my smut. I got two-barrel, double-barrel smut aimed at JD Vance. It's a peaceful process. We're just talking about him. I said, he's a phony. He's talking about Appalachian and quote unquote, poor white trash hillbillies. Him and Amy Chua, the Tiger Mama, another creation of the publishing establishment that's foreign owned in New York City. They live in New Haven, Connecticut, which is one of the most poor, depressed, impoverished crime ridden cities in the United States of America. So they're living in this bastion, this island of ultra privilege, Yale University, and right outside their gates is a whole underclass there that they studiously avoid talking about. There's not one mention of New Haven, Connecticut, Ian Hillbilly, Elegy, which is subtitled The Memoir of a Family and Culture and Crisis. Well, the crisis is right outside Yale law school the crisis was created by the knights templar in pre-colonial times in america because part of my deep research right not the ones you see on youtube and not the little uh, uh and this is good stuff you know and all the classic books yeah i read bloodline of the Illuminati. i know i got that jack you know you don't can't tell me anything anymore well you guys you need to that's you're just starter. you're beginning you're newbies And I say this because I get a lot of comments by jackasses on my channel telling me I got to have, you know, uh, Jay Dyer on, you know, my show because he's such a brilliant uh, original thing. Most of the stuff, most of the stuff you see, these people who are set up in indie media, they're plagiarizers. You know, I call them Googlers. Googling research is not about googling. Okay, Google is not research. Google is what? It's DARPA again. So you're in the day you are. Feeding into the oligarchic system, and you talk about infowars. That's what infowars has become, unfortunately. In early days, when Alex Jones was by himself, putting the mic out there and doing his re- and and doing documentaries. Yeah. yeah, I was into that back in two thousand three, two thousand four. Before he had a show, he had a podcast like you. You're ahead of the game because you got visuals. <laughs> he didn't even have a visual. It's just an audio vo- uh, podcast in the beginning. And I listened to it every day. First week, I said, oh, this guy's you know, he's way out there. But by the end of the week, I said, yeah, this guy's got a lot to say. So I'm what I'm telling you is that he had a lot to do with us taking the blindfolds off and really opening up a social space to challenge what we thought was a iron oligarchic system. But he has proved po- his career has proved positive. How inherent to the oligarchic system are these fissures, you know, cracks, and that's what my my smut approach, double-barreled smutdom, is used. I'm going to put the little bacteria, the viruses, in the little cracks that they leave there, and then pry them open a little, really slowly, right? And you do it by talking about these characters identifying them laying out uh what they became you figure you know, you find out I thought you know I checked out early on I just checked his uh his publication record Jordan Peterson he's got nothing he's got nothing he's at a major research institution he's got maybe a dissertation that he wrote up as, as his first book that's about it and the rest of it's smoke and mirrors and hype. But people who are not an academic uh, community, they don't really, they don't know how to understand these people. Oh, he's a professor at the University of Rapp, you know, whatever it is. Uh, or Bretton Weinstein, same thing. Yeah, you know, these are all people who are, and Amy Chua, her early scholars, she talks about her own book. Most of those are done by very bright students that they brought into law school or her research students and they're experts. These books are all Synthetic creations themselves, and all your policy intellectuals out there, not just these people writing pre, uh, presidential aspirational books, but most of your, your uh, hardcore academic uh, political science are, are written by these uh, Pentagon committees. right? If they, if they run PPal and, uh, and uh, DARPA Valley and Pentagon Valley, why wouldn't they be doing scholarship? I mean, they're creating um, uh, synthetic life, right? Why not synthetic intelligentsia? In fact, since then, synthetic intelligentsia precedes all of that, right? Ah. So it very deep. And uh, by the way, I didn't finish my thought about uh, my uh, smut approach, double-barreled smut approach to to destroying oligarchy, or at least keeping it fluid so that some people occasionally, like Robert Kennedy Jr., have have a voice and they're able to be heard. Uh, people like Judy Mikovic, Mikovic right, uh, Dr. Mikovic, who... Work not too far from where I, am, where I am up in Lake Tahoe, but it's the National Enquirer that pioneered this approach—the smut approach, the smear approach. National Enquirer is a CIA operation, and their deal is to destroy, to assassinate character before they assassinate the career, or if they need to, the physical being of the targeted person. So if you're giving them trouble, they'll say, "Okay, you were caught." um, um Either with a uh, a dead woman or a live boy, you know, somewhere. And if you give them too much trouble, they'll find a rope around your neck. Oh, he died. He was engaged in autoerotic asphyxiation, right? Because no one's going to investigate. It's so sordid, right? And that's how. And then, and it's all publicized through the national scandal sheet, the national, which I read religiously, by the way, because they're telling you if you know how to read against against the grain, it, it's telling you a lot. Of the different psyops that are taking place, but this is done by uh, General Rosso Pope Jr., right? We're talking about Italian <laughs> political theorists like uh, Mosca and uh, Pareto and all these great thinkers that come out of uh, Italy. Well, this guy never went to I mean, his father—he comes—he's a Sicilian immigrant, you know, just a a um, a common laborer, quote unquote, if there is such a thing as a common laborer. And he starts a newspaper, you know. He was set up. He was set up by uh, Italian anarchist overseas community in New York City in order to help organize these groups. Guess what? Against the WASP oligarchy. And they themselves, eventually, through General Rosso Pope, Gene Pope Jr., became part of the oligarchy. And that's why it's called iron. It has a seemingly endless perpetual motion ability to replenish itself and to continue the process forward without anybody really figuring it out. And we are perpetually, as I mentioned at the outset of our conversation, being perpetually surprised and depressed and looking for the the next, uh, the great hope of the future. It could be Donald Trump. It could be J.D. Vance. It could be someone who's 13 years old that we don't even know about, who's being, he's already been tar he or she. It's probably going to be, I'd say, south asian woman someone like the kamala harris right someone who's got a boner against the system and they kind of got an edge you know and they might have come from a background a little difficult and it's a story that we can all really love and and embrace and uh, they're going to sit them down with a team of writers in new york city behavioral scientists and know all the buttons to push pr companies advertising your your audience obviously knows about uh, Eddie Bernays, the, the nephew of Siggy, right, Sigmund Freud. It's become much more sophisticated than that. They all have quantum computers that, that can spit out a book, right? Uh, Thomas Pynchon, the author, is an example. He's all, uh, naval intelligence. His first couple books uh, were were really readable and understandable. You can see there's a human hand there. But after V and Gravity's Rainbow, you can tell these are quantum computer Novels that are being spit out there. And uh, it it's not a stretch because we know that uh, most of your I'm on a real tear against the publishing establishment right now. I didn't intend to, but J.D. Vance really kind of triggered something in me. But we know that um, most of your uh, literary fiction in America and your pop fiction, you know, V.C. Andrews, whoever else, J.K. Rowling, these international sensations. But your literary fiction in particular, guess what? Surprise, surprise, surprise. That's a CIA operation. It came out of the Iowa Writers' Workshop the university of right that is like a marquee creative writing mfa program that's the one that all the other schools try to imitate they're probably being paid by pentagon funds too for all you know so even the fiction both popular and literary and journalistic it's all been bought and paid for yes yeah, but so you're I- not bought and paid for and neither am i we yeah. are youtube celebrities
0: and, and what you're getting at, uh, if I can understand the, this, this um, what do you call it, smut uh, justice is uh, lately what I've been saying as well uh, on my TNT show as well as on here that in the independent media or alternative media, we have to get like really discerning. I guess one of your key points is to stay on the cutting edge is to be really discerning uh, and, and to not get fooled with all these people they 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 try to put upon us. Uh, and, you know, just to comment on Infowars. Uh, you know, one of the reasons I started this podcast was because I felt things like Infowars went off the reservation. Early on, they were interviewing so many smart people, you know, Francis Boyle, William Engdahl, who've been my guests. um, And they just stopped interviewing these people. And they just started doing this kind of like uh, monologue. And it's like, well, where's this cutting edge stuff? You're not not doing it anymore. And then, you know, what has happened to these, uh, who used to be these thought leaders, you know, uh, have they just gotten lazy, complacent? Um, you know, they got big, big bellies, and they just don't f- don't feel like putting in the work anymore, uh, or they're just going where the money is, with the audience. Or you know, I-, I think some, not all, people exaggerate with this controlled opposition stuff, but I think we do have definitely some controlled opposition folks who n- are working for intelligence and pretending to be alternative media. But others, I think, are just have just gotten lazy. You know, how do you explain that dynamic?
1: Well, I think it's all—all all of the above. Uh, certain people have been compromised, and and some of the figures that we have already touched upon. There's endless discussion online and personally about are they or aren't they right? But I'm taking the onus off them and putting it on us, right? What we're what control we do have is like you, you use the magic word. What control we have, right, for our own thoughts and our own behavior, our own responses is discernment. That's not coming from these characters. We have the ability to discern. And that's why we do what we do to show that, hey, maybe there's something more to this J.D. Vance synthetic character that's being portrayed. Right. And now, right, as much as we hate DARPA Valley and uh, TubeU and PePal and Peter Thiel, who's one of his big buddies. Right. <laughs> By the way, uh, J.D. Vance is a venture capitalist. Right. A vulture capitalist. That's his career. So his job is to talk down all these depressed regional areas so that his buddies out of Yale, the banking system, the Knights Templar can go there and buy all that property up for pennies on the dollar. That's his function. It's a banking op. It's a Knights Templar. By the way, the Knights Templar themselves is an example of some group who's ostensibly had some humanitarian cause, right? We're going to make sure that the Holy Lands are, are freely uh, traveled and no one's going to be robbed, held up, molested or taken slave right? And maybe the initial uh, Templars were like that. But guess what? Little bit success, they become bankers. And then from bankers, they become users. And from usury, they get to buy uh, kingdoms. And from kingdoms, they can infiltrate states. And from there, they can found their own universities like Yale University. And if you look at the SEALs, right? If you look at the coats of arms of the School of Arts and Sciences, and better yet, the Graduate School of Arts and Sciences, and if you look at the coat of arms of the Yale Law School, you will see, guess what? The Templar Cross. It's there. It's hidden in plain sight. Because the And this is where, where these other entities are failing, the academic, the straight ones, at least in our area, Indy, right? People are open to the Occult thought in history and metaphysics. This is where I depart from. And by the way, it's coming into the academic life. Now, there's there's some I've noticed at UC Santa Barbara, they have like a little uh minor in occult studies, and the place some universities are starting to uh, admit into the curriculum uh these traditional forms of knowledge that were abandoned in favor of materialist science philosophy the age of physics right the the austro-hungarian empire pioneered and the rest of the world is suffering from that today in 2022 so there is a counter movement again the iron uh, in the iron law of oligarchy is a composite metal and there can be metal fatigue right and we're seeing some metal fatigue happening in even the bastions of the university world because of people like you and me saying hey What about the Knights Templar and Michels himself? There's this guy here who's a leftist, uh, Alfred McCoy, who's done great work, right? He doesn't ever admit this notion that there are these secret societies or religious entities of the Vatican, whatever, the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem uh the dumb of the rock whatever that 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 are major players in governing the globe if not the major player but he's a mainstream political scientist even though he seems to be progressive and a leftist again right yeah i'm against uh all the uh, oligarchic systems that you de- this is his latest book that you detail and this. you go through the survey the whole Rise and fall of the different empires, uh, the Iberian Age, right? España and Portugal and Britannia, all the way to America, and then going into China.
0: And then he t- he touts uh, climate change, uh, you know, which is another kind of you know whole apparatus tool of of, of the oligarchy. But uh, a lot of people may not know you're talking about Knights Templar. Uh, I actually got to visit the, the headquarters of the Order of Malta, the Knights of Malta, when I was a student in Geneva. Uh, it's not open to the public because our professors. Late husband was a member of the Order of Malta. Uh, we got to visit it and we got to see. It. I, I was just like you talking about all this conspiracy stuff, and all my classmates were tired of me, that crazy conspiracy guy. And when <laughs> we went in there, I've got photos. They were like, dude, you're right. Like you could see skulls and snakes and like serpents and Masonic stuff. And it was all uh, crazy. And um, so, talking about this then iron law of uh, oligarchy. So, I, I get what you're saying, being discerning, um, as you say, but. Where do you see things going? We've got this kind of like great reset, fourth industrial revolution, technocratic transhumanism, and I guess that I, I always say the, the thing that freaks me out the most is this social credit system they're trying to put us in. Uh, I have guests that say the great reset is going to fail. Um, you know, I, I believe in the Bible and that we're kind of doomed to, to, to go into all of this, uh, you know, this global dystopia for a short period of time. Um, wh- 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 where do they have us now? Where do you see kind of things? Uh, going plus there's talk of you know world war 3 yeah mm-hmm.
1: yeah they ha- they have us over barrel but if we uh practice uh p- counter politics we'll be able to break them down uh i'm a uh, student of film i've i've taught film for many years remember i'm i'm the media maven right and uh, i have had a since i was a kid and i think this probably helped me to de- develop outside perspectives but from as a child you know my parents would take me to see uh Not anime, not not the not uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino derived you know pop uh, J-pop type crap, right? I'm talking about the real Japanese cinema of the 1950s, right? The Kurosawa, Ozu, all those people, and Kurosawa Akira, the great director, right, had uh, these companion movies. One's called uh, Sanjuro, and the other one's called Yojimbo, and I saw them as a as a child, and I kept going back to them, and as, as an adult. I figured out, wow, uh, Kurosawa here is telling us how to break down the iron law of oligarchy. And this is it. uh, The setting is in feudal Japan, rural Japan, where these uh, bandit families are controlling this village and taking most of their rice and barely allowing them to live at the above the level of starvation. These are bandits. These are thieves and it's a universal. It's true everywhere. It's true, you know, in Croatia, China, now, back then, wherever, America, it doesn't matter. It's Scotland. You've got the oligarchs going in there. So there's this um, uh, masterless samurai, Ronin, another term that's been trivialized, by the way, by by comic book artists like Frank Miller, right? And it's done so that when I'm giving you the real Ronin information and backstory and the politics of Roninism that you're going to think, oh, I got that because I read the comic book and had the action figures, you know, and I saw the uh, the anime on it, right? That's what the popular culture, it debases the 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 authentic. Uh, and so anyway, he's a Ronin, not to trivialize the term because uh, Quentin Tarantino has already done that for us with Kill Bill 1 and Kill Bill 2, which is about my uh, ancestral society, by the way, Okinawa, right? They're they're the ones who also are anti-oligarchy, and they had everything taken away from all the weapons. But what did they use? They used farm implements, you know, clubs, and they used a fist, right? So, hey, by the way, let me tell you, there's a whole uh, renaissance in martial arts, not in Asia alone, but all over the world, traditional martial arts, through Eastern Europe, through the British Isles. You can see it on TubeView. And if you want to watch mixed martial arts, one uh, Muay Thai on TubeU, there's a great crop of women, most of them are Asian, who are kicking ass, right? So it's telling me that the programming, the, the genetic engineering is not really working out, and there's a counter-movement that's happening organically because they're, they're not reading Pareto. They're not reading Mosque, they're not reading Marx. These are fighters, and they're not on video game either. It's not some uh, some autistic uh, video game programmer in San Francisco who's creating these little avatars. These are people who are fighting for money. They're professionals. Angela Lee Lee is one of my favorite. She's Singaporean, Korean, Canadian. She lives in Hawaii. Her brother is a champion, younger brother, and she has a a younger sister. It's a family. that Their their parents are are martial artists, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, taekwondo, all of it. And it's so I'm just telling you that that this iron law is not so iron as, uh, and I'm a student of popular culture. I believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, I have a, and I'm proud of it, I have a master's degree that says popular culture on it. Not sociology, not history. I wasn't slumming. I went right to the popular. This is 1976 at Bowling Green State University before popular culture became cool. All right. So I'm just telling you this, you know, I was into the the race and ethnicity before it got co-opted and all the media studies. I'm telling you this. I have a track record of being ahead of the curve. Right. So when I'm telling you that the oligarchy is going to break down and how it's going to break down, you better listen to me because I have a really, really good success rate of not even predicting the future, but reading past and and current uh situations right i call it cultural forensics and projecting it into the future so here's what we're going to do ladies and gentlemen we're going to follow the uh cia asset the national Enquirer, <laughs> gene pope jr the defamation uh, campaigns they did it to martin luther king jr they sent him the tapes and you better kill yourself man because we caught you in bed with oh and on and on and jade Hoover had the whole file on on everybody jfk everybody right and they got now they got the file on all of us right they got all our our metadata right so hey you know what that can go in both directions right so i'm going back to kurosawa if you got um he's the, he's like the man with no name he calls himself sanjuro we don't really know his name but he's the hired mercenary bodyguard yo Jimbo, is a bodyguard a sort of a, a thug thug for hire right so these villagers out of desperation hire him as their own bodyguard but he says you know what it's not going to do anything if i just do a cosmetic surgery on a couple of people's heads right cut off a couple of heads a couple of arms and the pro- they're going to grow back limbs right they're like um They're like starfish. You cut them up, and they're going to multiply. So why don't I just get the two factions, the two gangster families, right, yakuza, if you will, who run the village and are oppressing the peasants. What if I get them to fight against each other? So he does that. First, he sells himself to one faction, and he's such a great swordsman. Oh, yeah, we'll pay him all this uh, money, you know, real, right, in gold pieces. And then, by the way, a lot of these Westerns that Clint Eastwood did and, and uh, the spaghetti one, a lot of that is, it was uh, plagiarized from Kurosawa, right? George Lucas, he's very oh, upfront about it. Star Wars is Kurosawa in space, right? So, and then he goes, uh, then displayed by Mifune Toshiro, he's Yojimbo. He, he sells himself, his services to the other family, so he thinks he, they're both they both own him, and what he does is goes back and forth and creates these frictions and these stories. He like oh, he hands them maybe a laptop to one here with all the smut on it, and then he'll hand the cell phone data to the other warring faction in this peasant society, and then they fight it amongst each out each other and they destroy each other. And what happens is that we the peasantry have a brief respite. Of course, a new oligarchy is going to rise out of it, right? But we have a strategy now. My strategy is to find the fissures, find the metal fatigue point, the weak point, and to work it through the national inquiry technique and get them to fight each other. So, you know, you got the laptop, right? And you've got Hunter Biden, and you're—it's gradually eating away. It's a corrosive uh, effect on what we thought was the iron president. And he's going to drop uh, one way or another, but there's going to be another person that's going to be inserted in his place. And uh, but we're going to be alert to that. And we're going to keep the pot stirring. So that's the part of uh, Robert Michel's a lot of people don't understand. They, they see the iron law of oligarchy as being an iron law. But he was actually quite optimistic. He says inherent in democracy is that there is competition and conflict. So we want that. We don't want peace. We don't want stasis. We want a perpetual state of dynamism, so that all these different groups can compete with each other, even if they're outnumbered. The people who think they have everything uh, tied down, like the people in Davos right now, they always got to be looking over their shoulder for Yo Jimbo.
0: Yeah, speaking of Akira Kurosawa, when I was a teenager, I was going to the library and just borrowing all those movies and and uh yeah what well, really great stuff and I'm a huge fan of the spaghetti uh westerns uh so you're giving us optimism <laughs> this is good uh I feel inadvertently I've been doing some of the stuff that you've kind of uh fleshed out uh and, yeah we need to be discerning and and keep on uh fighting back this counter revolution you say even if it gives us a respite a respite is a respite uh, you know a, a break uh and so yeah. Any any final uh, then you know thoughts or other thoughts to leave us with?
1: Yes, I'm on Patreon and people can support my battle, my lonely battle. I am i I'm a lone voice. I'm I'm glad to have met you and and um, that you know. In truth, there there are many of us and they're growing. In a certain sense, it's oversaturated. The market's really saturated. Right? Warhol was wrong. Right? Uh, in Everybody will will be a podcaster in the future, right? He said everybody's going to be famous for 15 minutes. Uh, Hamamoto's um, assertion is in the future, everybody will have his his or her own podcast. So yeah, there's some problems, and that's part of why, uh, by the way, YouTube's strategy is to just create this giant din, right? This noise that doesn't go anywhere, right? And that's what you're seeing in some of the larger shows. Uh, I'll give you some names because they they, they're synthetic creations that were put forward. Stu the auctioneer Peters, Ben Shapiro, uh, the the chief of all is this uh, character, um, Sebastian Gorka, right? He's another bloviator. And um, any number of them now who, who have kind of tapped into the grassroots skepticism of Fox News and CNN. But they're not the solution either. But they have huge followings, you see. They, so they need to watch your po- podcast, my podcast, and they need to work a little bit harder to develop a very important concept that you put out at the outset, Mr. Morich. And that is this, this idea, this behavior based on discernment. Discernment. That's yeah, my yeah. final word of, of um, encouragement for your yeah. audience and our, our societies, our civilization.
0: And, and j- as you mentioned, those names, I've been suspicious of them as well. Red Voice Media, Stu Peters, and how they just qu- so quickly get, get so big. Uh, and even f- just as an example, um, I'm a big fan of Rick Wiles at True News, who I, I still think is doing authentic stuff. And he had some two folks that were working for him at True News that ended up doing something really sketchy and he fired them. And now they're frequent, uh, on, on Stu Peters. And it's just a lot uh-huh. of stuff that like this the discerning stuff that that you you catch. Uh, so, yeah, uh, a great place to leave us. at. And again, I will recommend um, uh, Professor Hamamoto's YouTube. Uh, you've got a Facebook, uh, a Twitter and your Patreon. Those will all be uh, in the links uh, of the description of this podcast. So it's been great chatting uh, with you on geopolitics and empire. Thank you for coming on. And I hope we do it again uh, sometime in the future.
1: Thank you so much. I'll see you at the top, Mr. Morich. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The
0: website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted.